If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. When you see a video like that, you're reminded, you know, as I, I see the names that go across, some names are meaningful to some of you, and some of you didn't know anybody on the list. But I think about the legacy that those people left here at the church, but also I think about the inevitability that is before all of us that our time on earth is not forever. That, that our time that we have to live is not an eternal thing in this life. And when I think about, when I think through those things, is the reality that for those of us that are believers... We don't have to face the uncertainty of death with fear or worry. Because Scripture teaches that for those of us that are believers in Jesus Christ, for those of us who are followers of His, we have an eternal future that is secure. And as we were thinking about this weekend and what it means in our country as we celebrate those who have um, given their lives for our country and Think even in the last um, the last year where we held in the sanctuary a memorial service for a soldier who lost his life in the Middle East. And we think about what it means as we think about those names that scrolled. And I can't help but say that this weekend, as we thought about it, was a time when we should focus a little bit on what our eternal reward is as believers and how that should impact us as we live out our lives on a daily basis. And so today I want to look at a passage of Scripture that often is not thought about talking about heaven. In fact, it comes from... 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is the love chapter, the chapter that talks about love in the ways that many of us know of it. We talk about love is patient and love is kind and it does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. All those things come before it. But I want to focus on the last few verses of chapter 13. And the last few verses of chapter 13 tell us love's role in our eternal destination. And it's an interesting little passage stuck at the end. And here's what Paul is doing in this passage, and then we're going to look into it a little bit. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth that is in disarray. They are arguing about everything. They're having arguments over who's the better Christian because of what spiritual gifts they may or may not have. They are arguing over who ought to eat the Lord's Supper first, or who gets to eat when they come later. They're arguing over who's better, because who baptized them. Well, I'm just going to tell you, I'm I'm more secure in my faith, because Brother Lyle was the one about... No, no, I was baptized by Brother Ray... No, I was baptized by Brother Christian... You know, they named all the pastors that had been there, and said, I was baptized by him, so I'm better. They were fighting about everything. And sin was rampant. It was running wild in the congregation. I mean, there's a part, and if you've been around and heard me preach on 1 Corinthians, you hear me use this example, but it's just so far out there. there there's a person in the church who was living with his stepmother and boasting about it. And the church didn't do anything about it. 
And so Paul's writing to him all this stuff, and Paul's basic argument is, in chapter 13, it doesn't matter what you have, how much you have, how good your church is. It doesn't matter what kind of spiritual gifts you are. It doesn't matter how good your worship is, or your youth group is, or your Bible study is. It doesn't matter how much you're doing the right things. If love is not a part of what you're doing, if it doesn't come out of a heart that's been captured by the love of Christ, and is in return loving the world around us, then it is in vain and useless. And part of that argument that Paul is going to use to show the supremacy of love is he's going to say, love is the thing that will last. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 uses this phrase in the middle of it. We're going to read verses 8 through 13 in just a minute. But there's this phrase in it in verse 10 that just says, When the perfect comes. And the idea there is literally when God's victory is won, Christ's return and the new heaven and the new earth is established, these are some realities that are going to be there. Now, there is very little in the Christian life that is misunderstood like heaven. People talk about heaven and they give this description of heaven that sometimes sounds so... um, Well, it can sound kind of boring at times. Right? Heaven's one of those things that when people talk about it, it doesn't necessarily sound like somewhere I want to go. In fact, when people talk about heaven, sometimes they talk about it like kind of an extended vacation. But the trouble with that is, some of us realize that vacations are good for a little while. Have you ever been on vacation with the family before? By the time you get to the end of it, you are ready to come home. Alright? Anybody been there? Alright. It, it, you're like, I'm done. And if you just listen to people's description, have, what's heaven going to be like? Oh, I'm going to be in a hammock on the beach and the wind just blowing in all the time. And you think, woo, that sounds great for like a week. But after a week, I'm ready to do something, right? Well, that's not the way Scripture describes it. In fact, if you just look at what the, the kind of... These ideas... It's, heaven's one of those things that people have just taken all kinds of stuff and they've kind of put them together. And so they... They think they know what it's going to be like. If you listen to it, it leads to people writing songs like, I I want to go to heaven, but I want to stick around here for a little longer. Like, it can wait. I'm sure it'll be okay, but right now I kind of like my life. As if your life now is better than what it's going to be in heaven. Scripture doesn't say that at all. It tells us that ultimately in Heaven, we're going to live a life that is as adventurous as we can imagine, as exhilarating as we can think of, and is something that will continually challenge us and help us to grow. Look what it says in verse 8 of chapter 13. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. 
Three things I want us to see out of this passage, and then we're going to talk about kind of how that impacts us here on earth. The first thing I want us to see is the point Paul makes before, before any other point is that love is going to dominate heaven. That heaven is going to be dominated by love. He says this in verse 8 when he says, love never ends. Now, some of your translations may say, love never fails, or love never falls. The point is, it takes a word in their language that means when you put your hope in something and then it disappoints. So when you put your hope in a relationship and then you find out that that person wasn't as loyal to you as you thought they should have been. You put your hope in a business and you find out that that business is not as strong as it could have been. It, it talks about things in your life that you place your hope or your trust in and then you discover that it's not going to support you or do what you thought. It puts that word there and then it puts as strong of a negative as it could to say love will never disappoint you. It will never do anything to take away that trust. Now let's talk a minute what it means by love. It's not talking about a romantic comedy kind of love. It's not talking about a Hollywood movie kind of love. This is talking about love that flows out of the love of God for each of us. And the point is that it's going to radically change how we live. And also... That it is the only thing worth investing in in this world. When Paul says love never ends, but prophecies will and tongues will and all this stuff will, his point is we must begin to invest our lives in things that truly matter and will last. Think about this. Everything you come in contact with on a daily basis, will eventually go away. Everything you come in contact with on a daily basis will eventually go away. Nothing that you touch is eternal. As far as it's going to be exactly like it is. Now, the truth is, all of us that are believers in Jesus Christ, we're going to live forever, but we're going to have new bodies. Scripture tells us that we get new ones, we get upgrades. That's good, right? Anybody ready for an upgrade? I'm ready for an upgrade, yeah. And the only thing that is permanent in life are those things that we do that have eternal value. We must live our lives constantly reminded that what we do on earth is only valuable in how important it is for eternity. The Bible tells us the only way we'll ever be earthly good is if we are completely heavenly minded. We are to contemplate and meditate on the beauty and the glory of God and want us to come and as a result it will make us to live here in a better way. Scripture tells us that focusing on the beauty of heaven frees us from excessive dependence on our earthly environment. In fact, Philippians 3.20 reminds us that our ultimate citizenship is not in the United States or living in Tennessee, but our ultimate citizenship is in heaven. 1 Peter tells us that the ultimate reasons why we are born again into the family of God is that we might embrace the heavenly inheritance. 
He tells us that we are to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. In other words, set your attention on the things of eternity, not on the things of this earth. One of the best examples in Scripture about people that live their lives that way is Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews chapter 11 is that chapter in Scripture that just lists people and tells all the things they did and they were faithful to God. And it tells us in Hebrews 11.16 that they were able to persevere on earth because of the reward they knew was coming in heaven. Their anticipation for the life to come energized them in the present. Most of you all know that I'm a big sports fan. And one of the things that I love about sports is you can't predict the outcomes. I mean, you can try, but you can never truly pick the outcomes. And one of the things that they talk about in... Uh, in sports, is when you've got a team that is just down and almost seemingly out, and they'll say something like, this team is a dangerous team because they have nothing to lose. They're playing as people who have nothing to lose. Well, Scripture says that when we realize because we are part of God's family that our future is secure, we are people that have absolutely nothing to lose. I think of the story of the missionary Jim Elliott who left the comforts of his home to go to a tribal people in South America. And people would ask him why he was doing that. Jim Elliott would eventually be killed for sharing his faith with the people of this tribe. And he, in one of his journals, wrote, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to attain that which he cannot lose. And when it comes to living, when Paul says, listen, your mind has to be turned to the fact that love, that being a part of this family is something that will last forever. The strength to be able to live as if there's nothing to lose comes into our lives. Thinking about the joys of heaven helps us to persevere in the midst of injustice and strife and difficulty. In Romans 8.18, Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is be revealed to us. What he says is, these momentary difficulties we go through, if it's a week, if it's a month, if it's a year, if it's a decade, if it's a lifetime, that is nothing compared to the eternal glory we will receive. So we have to live with the understanding of those things that are permanent. The first thing we see is that a place dominated by love, and that love is that thing that will persevere. Remember, uh, you, you, most of you know the last verse of this. These three remain faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. The idea is that the overwhelming presence of God and what He has done for us ought to spur us on. So one thing about heaven here is that love will dominate it and that we have been assured of it because of His love for us. The second thing is that we understand that heaven is a place of unending, unmediated intimacy with God. If there's a word that describes what heaven is about, it is the word increase. Look what it says here. It says that we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial passes away. He talks about being a child and all of that. But then he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly. 
The idea literally there is we see as if in a mirror, and this is not one of those lit mirrors that shows every detail of your face. It is a dim lit mirror. We can barely see. It is smudged. It is cracked. It is not showing us everything. It says, but when we get there, when we get to heaven, when we receive our eternal reward, we will see face to face. And the idea there is unending, unmediated presence of God. It's we will have increasing knowledge of who God is. We're going to increase in our joy of who God is. We're going to increase our love for God. We're going to increase in our love for one another. We're going to increase in our enjoyment. It's an ever-expanding increase in our knowledge of Him. And it's not just about Heaven is just not about knowledge. It's about increasing knowledge. It's not just about joy. It's about progressive, intermental, incessantly enlarging joy. Heaven will not be always the same for us. So we get back to the vacation idea. One of the things that people hate in life is change. At least that's what they tell you, right? I hate change. I don't like anything to change. You know what I hate more than change? No change. You know what we call things that don't change at all? Boring. That's what we call them. Right? I mean, we've been wired in our lives that we need to have something that comes that keeps us from being the same or static. In fact, our enemy knows this so well that that's how he dupes us into being caught in the entrapment of something like addiction. Because the idea is you don't get the same effect. You have to ramp up what you're doing to receive the same kind of effect. And it doesn't just have to be drugs or alcohol. It can be lots of stuff. And anything that's just static or the same becomes very boring. And what Scripture teaches is that heaven will be anything but boring. Somebody said this. Many people describe heaven like sitting by a tranquil river lake Relaxing on the side while the waves gently roll by. But Scripture decides to describe heaven not in that way, but like the surging waters of a flood. There will be never-ending revelation of who God is. The waters of joy and delight and knowledge will increase, and we're going to be inundated ever more with each passing moment. Now, I don't want to make a light here, but some of you remember a couple of years ago when the uh, Nashville flood happened, right? Anybody here at church that day? There were a few of us. I know Callie Brooks was here because she ended up uh, stuck on the elevator, right? There you are. I ended up riding home with the uh, ended up riding home with the Brooks that day because my my I was afraid my Camry wasn't gonna, you know, I did, it's not a submarine, and so. So we rode and ran these big truck, or we crowded all into the suburban or something. We rode, but we, we were here at church, and, and as I remember driving from here, and we couldn't go any of the normal routes. We had to go kind of a back way and find a way. Do you remember kind of the devastation that just happened when the waters would go and houses? I mean, you remember those pictures of that houses and, uh, and that learning center that was carried away, and trucks being carried away, just the sheer power of that. Now, I don't even make light of that, it was a very serious thing. But Scripture teaches that in heaven, our experience will be much more like being overwhelmed by the glory and the mercy and the generosity of God, like the floodwaters rushing upon us. 
than a tranquil river by which we sit. It will not be a one-time momentary display of God's goodness. It will be over and over and over again. Scripture seems to describe heaven as a continuous adventure where the stakes and the rewards get better and better the longer we're there. I don't mean this physically as in there are no mountains, but metaphorically there are no mountaintops in heaven. There are no times when you get to the top and you say life can't get any better because then it does. I read this week about some people trying to climb Mount Everest. And my first thought whenever I read anything about anybody reading Mount Everest is how crazy the people are that try to climb Mount Everest. But apparently recently some people in a traffic jam on Mount Everest, doesn't that sound fun? A traffic jam on people going up and down, they got caught in the danger zone and they had several of them that died. And they talked about how that that's not going to deter anybody. And so I was reading this article about people that climb to the top of Mount Everest and that there are many of them that get to the top of Mount Everest, the tallest place on the earth, and they get to the top of Mount Everest and they kind of go, now what? What can I do to top this? It's all downhill from here. The amazing thing about what we learn from from Scripture is that because of the ever-increasing knowledge of God, heaven will never be a place where it can't get better. It will continually increase our joy. Here's the last thing. Heaven's also a place where sin is abolished and love is released. The thing that we see in Scripture here that it it talks about when the perfect comes, the idea is all this stuff goes away that we can't even imagine. Of all the things I've talked about, understanding heaven as a place where sin is abolished is probably the most difficult concept for us to imagine because everything we encounter in life has been touched by the effects of sin. Everything that we touch in life has been affected by the decision man made to turn their backs on God. Everything we touch physically, our emotions, our physical health, our spiritual condition, everything has been touched. The idea is that there will be this place in heaven where we are not impeded in any way from discovering and going after the Lord. Where nothing will be able to get in our way of preventing us from discovering more about Him and enjoying life like He intended for it to be. There will be nothing abrasive, irritating, agitating, or hurtful in heaven. There's no weakness, sickness, brokenness, foolishness. Nothing will be deformed, degenerate, depraved, or disgusting. We won't see any of that. Everything will be glorious and amazing and awesome. Now, that, that word is a word that gets used a little too much. Last night, um, we're, we're taking a, a little trip to the river, Tennessee River. And we were getting stuff out and getting packed. And one of the things that was in Maddie's bag was a bathing suit. And it wasn't a particularly amazing bathing suit, but she picked it up and she just walked out. And apparently she heard her brother Jesus where she goes, This is awesome. The word means that we are full of wonder and awe. And Scripture says that heaven will be one awesome event after another for eternity.
Now the truth is, if that's the thing that we have to look forward to, we must begin to live our lives preparing for it. Anybody going on vacation this summer? Anybody going? How many of you, I probably need to ask the parents this, kids probably just get in the car and go. How many of you going on vacation have at least some kind of preparation for the vacation? Anybody? Alright. You, you get you get things packed up. You figure out what you're going to do. At our house, Susan is the one that plans all that, and she makes out a list of everything's got to be packed and everything's got to be done. And if you're going to a place where you got to find, you got to get hotel reservations or plane reservations. And here's the thing that's generally true. Okay, generally, the longer the trip, as in distance, and the longer you're staying, the more planning that has to be involved. Right? I mean, we're taking a day and a half, two day trip to. Two hours away. We didn't have to do tons of planning for that. If we were taking a two and a half week trip out west, that's some planning. All right. Uh, I, uh, we uh, I got approached uh, late last year about taking a group of people to the Holy Land in Jerusalem and being part of that. And um, you know we thought about that, and then the Lord decided to bless us with a fourth child, and I'm not going. All right, but. In order to be a part of that, you had to start planning that trip last fall, and people had to start signing up and have meetings in January of this year for a trip a year later. Okay? The longer the trip, both distance and lengthwise, the more planning you do. Alright, here's what I want to tell you. Scripture describes death as the departure on our next journey. And if we consider that we plan more for longer trips, we're talking about an eternal destination. And so our lives now, in part, ought to be part of planning for that trip. Jesus said it this way, Don't store up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust can destroy it and a burglar can break in and steal it, but store up for your treasures where? In heaven. Where stuff can't touch it. So my question is, more so than just, do you want to go to heaven? Because if you're here today, that's probably kind of on your radar. How are you planning for that ultimate adventure? What are you doing in your life now that has eternal significance? And what do you have in your life now that's going to waste away? Scripture says that lots of stuff's going to waste away. I'm going to be out of a job when we get to heaven. I started to say there are no preachers in heaven, but I hope there are preachers in heaven, just not people preaching in heaven. There won't be a need for that. But my plan is to invest my life in doing it here that I'm laying up treasure there. What are you doing to prepare for the ultimate journey?